I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. As Stephen just mentioned, last week we had the joy of coming together to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so as we were together, we, we considered the resurrection and we celebrated the victory that Christ had over sin and death. We acknowledged his power, his love for sinners. And I hope that as you left last Sunday on your way to Easter lunch, I hope you left with a sense of gratitude and hope. I hope you left thankful for the work of Jesus, and I hope you left resting in knowing that because he lives, you can know that your sins are forgiven, that you have hope for today, and that you have hope for eternity. It's what we confessed together last week, right? He lives, and because he lives, we have hope. And then we left, and we went into another week. And here's my guess. My guess is that for most of you, this week brought many of the same difficulties and struggles that you experienced two weeks ago. That said, I wonder how many of you, even on the hills of an Easter celebration, found yourself uncertain of the power of God. Maybe even unconvinced of his care for you. Easter was great, but it didn't change my situation. My guess is you probably wouldn't say these things out loud. I hope you have someone you can say these kinds of things to, but my guess is that most of us keep them inside. We celebrate, we sing, he is alive, he is not dead, in fact, he is risen, and then we go back and on Monday we struggle to see how the power of the resurrection really impacts the situations that we face day in and day out. And we know the promises of God, don't we? You can remember that Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We, we believe this. We know the promise of Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we can quote the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, Of God, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You know these things, don't you? We confess them. And yet there's this temptation that it's easy to come together and to confess these things about the power of Christ and the mercy of Christ and the love of Christ. And we know that all these things were proven in the cross. That's what last weekend was all about. And yet, we can get to Wednesday and doubt the power of God in our situation. Yes, I believe he had the power to raise from the dead, but what about this situation? Maybe you doubt the love of Christ for you in your mess or the mercy of Christ in regards to your sins. This morning, we come back to the Gospel of Mark, and I'm glad for a passage that reminds us of the love and compassion of care of Jesus towards those who are struggling, towards those who are lost, towards those who need healing. My hope this morning, I'll just lay it out here for you at the beginning, my hope is that you will be encouraged once again as you hear of the heart of Christ. And we get this reminder 
that no matter what situation you're going through, Jesus cares and Jesus does have the power to bring you out of that struggle. Mark 10, 46 through 52 is a reminder that Christ is compassionate towards those who are hurting and he responds to those who come to him in humble faith. Isn't that good news? That we have a God who cares about the difficulties of our lives and who responds to those who come to him in faith. With that said, I hope you have your Bibles open. We are in Mark chapter 10. If you're counting, this is message number eight in Mark chapter 10, the final one. We're going to look at verses 46 to 52. Hear the word of God. Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want for me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's our prayer that God would add his blessing to the reading and to the preaching of his word. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Jesus gives sight to a man who couldn't see. But of course, we do want to remember that this is a story within a story, and we say this a lot, but if we're going to understand this story, we have to understand the story that we've been in now for over a year. We need to know where we are in the story. Since the beginning of chapter 10, we've been walking with Jesus and his disciples as they've been going towards Jerusalem. He's on his way, and he's going there for a reason. See, Jesus knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he will be betrayed, he will be convicted, he will be crucified. That's where he's headed, and he is walking that way knowingly and willingly. As he goes, as we've gone through chapter 10, we've noticed a couple of things. One, Jesus keeps telling the disciples what's going to happen. He tells them in no uncertain terms, I am going to die and I will rise, and yet we see over and over that they don't understand. We also have seen that along the way, Jesus is trying to equip his disciples to be proper disciples. And so there's this recurring theme as the disciples respond in pride and Jesus reminds them that to be his disciple is to be a servant. We saw that at the end of the last section, verse 45. Jesus said, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's calling his disciples to lay down their lives for others. And aren't you glad that Jesus not only calls for that from us, but he did it himself. He came to lay down his life for sinners. He's on his way to Jerusalem to do just that. And next week, if we'd planned the calendar just a little bit better, the text would have fallen on Palm Sunday, but here we are. 
Next week, we enter Jerusalem. But before we get there, we get this final miracle story. And in this story, we see an example of Jesus doing exactly what he's been calling his disciples to do. He serves those in need. Like I've already said, in this passage, we see the heart of Jesus towards those who come to him in faith. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Jesus has compassion for those who come to him in humble faith. So we come to the passage, and Mark starts by drawing our attention to geography. But he's not just a good record keeper. What he's telling us is they are leaving Jericho, which means they're only about a day's journey from Jerusalem. They're getting closer to the destination, getting closer to the cross. And can you imagine the weight that must have been on Christ as he took step after step up that hill towards Jerusalem? Maybe he had a little on his mind. But what we are going to see is that even as he's entering the shadow of the cross, his ears are open to the cries of those who are hurting. We're told there in verse 46 that as they leave Jericho, there's this man named Bartimaeus who's sitting beside the road. And we're told a few things about him. First, we are told his name, which is unusual. This is the only time in all the Gospel of Mark that Mark tells us the name of the person who's healed. Why this time and no other? Perhaps it's because Bartimaeus became a disciple. We're going to see that at the end of the text, and maybe people knew him. So it made sense to mention him here. We don't know for sure why Mark includes his name, but I have considered this week that it forces us to recognize that this is a real person, a man with a name, a man with a family. We're told he's the son of Timaeus, which, full disclosure, maybe you, saw, maybe you didn't, that this is very repetitive. His name is Bartimaeus, Bar meaning son, and Timaeus meaning Timaeus, the name of his dad. It's repetitive. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. But perhaps it's a good reminder to us that this is a real man with a real family who had a real history and a man who has lived a life of difficulty. We're told two more things about him. We're told that he's blind and we're told that he is a beggar, which is not an uncommon combination. He's living in a time when the disabled, the, the lame, the blind, the deaf, were often outcasts. See, many considered that those who had these inflictions probably had them because of their sin or the sin of their parents. And so this is the judgment of God on them. And so it makes sense to push them to the edge of society. They were written off often as insignificant. And so the way that they would make their living is to beg. This was the story of Bartimaeus. A man with a family, a man with a dad, but a man who had lived a life of begging. Begging from people whom he could not see. We come to this day when he's sitting by the road, probably sitting in the same place that he sat daily. On this day, he hears a crowd of people coming by. We don't have all the details, but what we are told is that as the crowd passes, Bartimaeus learns that the reason there's a crowd is because there's people who are following Jesus. And what we also see here is that he knew who Jesus was. We don't know how he found out. Maybe it was uncommon for a large crowd to come by, and he asked, why are there all these people? And he's told Jesus is passing, and, and Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. We see that. In his confession, 
Verse 47, he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. So he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture a blind man sitting to the side of the road while a crowd passes by? And obviously there's noise from the crowd as people are talking. He knows he must be heard. So he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. It's a cry for help, but it's also, as we look at it, it tells us a lot about Bartimaeus. It tells us that he knows who Jesus is because Mark says that he learned that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. But do you see what he calls Jesus? He says, Jesus, son of David. And this is more than a reference to lineage. It's more than a family connection. It's a title. What we have here is Bartimaeus confessing that he believes that Jesus is the one through whom the promises that God made to David will be fulfilled. This is not a son of David. He cries out to Jesus as the one, the son of David. Do you remember the promises that God made to David? You could go back and read them in 2 Samuel. God promised to David that there would be a son, a descendant who would sit on his throne and one who would establish an eternal kingdom. And this is the one that the the people of Israel had been waiting for and watching for and hoping for. And it seems that Bartimaeus has recognized Jesus as this one. He believes that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. And not only that, but he believes that Jesus is the one who can act on behalf of God. He cries for mercy. He's asking Jesus to do something that only God can do. He knew who Jesus was and he believed in what Jesus could do. He believes in the power of Christ and so he cries for help. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His physical eyes were closed, but the eyes of faith appeared to be wide open. I wonder about us. Our eyes physically are open. But what about the eyes of faith? I wonder how many of us are slow to bring our burdens to God, to ask for his help. And perhaps it's because we don't fully remember or fully believe who he is and what he can do. What we see here is Bartimaeus has no problem confessing, you are the Christ and you are the one who can show me mercy. But I wonder as if you see your blind spots, as you see your struggles, if you think, surely Jesus can help with these things, but you have this tendency to think that it's not for you. I will say this. I think one of the biggest reasons we need to be together every Sunday morning is because we need to be reminded week in and week out of who Jesus is. I need to be reminded daily and weekly of what Jesus can do. Because if we are not careful, we can find ourselves sitting in our blindness and unwilling to cry out. We see here is the faith of Bartimaeus that he believed in who Jesus was and he believed in what Jesus could do. And we are going to see that Jesus responds to his cries, but first we see the response of the crowd. Here's a man in need, a man who's trying to get to Jesus but there's some who try to stand in his way. We see that in verse 48. 
He's crying out, yet many people rebuked him and told him to stay silent. No doubt we have here as a crowd of people who have walked past beggars all their lives. They see them as outcasts, as sinners, as people to be disregarded. They're following Jesus, one who they see as great. Surely Jesus would not have time for a man like this. They rebuke him, telling him to be silent. And they may have very well thought that they were doing the right thing. They were protecting Jesus from this one who would get in the way. They assumed Jesus would not want to be bothered. I wonder if that kind of reasoning sounds familiar to you. I wonder if you've been slow to go to God, perhaps thinking that he would not want to be bothered with the situation of your life. It's not the first time we've seen, even in this chapter, people trying to keep people from Jesus. We can go back earlier in the chapter, remember, there's people who are bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed, and you remember what the disciples do? They, they stand up and they, they rebuke them. They try to send them on their way, maybe with the same motivation, assuming that Jesus would not want to be bothered, that he would not want time with these children. And it was there that we saw the response of Jesus, a response that we never see before or after of Jesus. He responds with indignance, with anger. He's angry because his disciples obviously did not understand his priorities. And his disciples obviously did not understand his values. We saw in that story at the beginning of Mark 10 that Jesus has a heart for the lowly and a heart for the forgotten. And that he welcomes all those who come to him in faith. Those who come to him not on their own merit, but in humility. And that's what we see in Bartimaeus. Even as the crowds rebuked and tried to silence him, he cried out the more. He had faith, and so he cries out, Son of David, have mercy. So I think about the faith of Bartimaeus and the rebuke of the crowds. I wonder how often we decide that we are the arbiters of who should and shouldn't come to Jesus. Have you ever failed to share the gospel with someone? Because in your mind, you've decided that they will never believe. How many times have we stood in the way of one who would cry? Church, we're called to bring people to Jesus. Not to push them away, not to silence them. Or maybe you don't keep others from Christ necessarily, but you find yourself keeping yourself from him assuming that you're too messed up. And so what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to clean things up a little bit and, and then we'll go to Jesus. If I can get to a po this point, then I could bring in a brother to help me, but I don't want to confess where I am today. I'd rather get to this point and then I'll ask for help. Then I'll, then I'll move forward. No, what we see here is that Jesus longs to hear the cry of those who need mercy. I think Bartimaeus is a good example for us. He didn't fear what others would say. He cried for mercy. And maybe you've been slow to call for help because you're embarrassed of what others may say. Can I appeal to you? Come to Jesus. Bartimaeus knew his need. He believed in who Jesus was and he believed that Jesus was the one who could help and so he cried out. In the story, we see the heart of Jesus towards those who come to him in humble faith. 
I love the way Mark writes verse 49, the emphasis that's placed. Jesus hears the cry, and we're told in verse 49 that Jesus stopped. He stopped. Was his destination important? A little bit. He was walking to Jerusalem where he would die for the sins of the world. He easily could have justified in his mind that the place he was headed was far more important than anyone he would pass along the way. But Jesus stopped. What we see here is an example. Jesus has called us. He says, the greatest among you will be the slave of all. Don't we find ourselves walking too quickly and too busy to stop? Here we see the compassion of Jesus. We see his care. The crowds rebuke and try to silence Bartimaeus, but Jesus stops. He allows the cries from this man who everyone else considered insignificant. He allows those cries to stop him. He's living out what he has taught his disciples. Whoever will be first among you must be the slave of all. Jesus is the ultimate example of counting others as more significant than himself. His heart was turned towards those in need. This church is an example for us. We are called to be servants. We are called to go to the lost. We are called to go to the hurting. This is an example for us to follow. It's also a reminder for us to embrace. Jesus lives to hear and respond to the cries of those who come to him in faith. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, so that we can find grace to help in time of need. Jesus lives to hear and to respond to the cries of those who come to him in faith. Maybe this morning you limped in because the burden you carry is heavy, seemingly too heavy. Hear this reminder, friends. Jesus lives to hear and respond to the cries of those who come to him in humble faith. He stops. Do you notice how the crowd's tone changed? Verse 49. The ones who had rebuked him and told him to say, take heart, take heart. He's, He's ready for you. Come to him. Take heart. Words that are usually only spoken by Christ. Words that are often spoken to us. Bartimaeus receives this invitation from Christ and we're told in verse 50 that he throws off his cloak and he springs up and he comes to Jesus. His confidence, his faith, nothing to hinder him or slow him down. He drops everything and runs to Christ. And did you see the question that Jesus asks? What do you want me to do for you? Have you heard that question before? Pop quiz, have you heard this question before? Two weeks ago. But in a very different situation. Remember James and John, they come to Jesus And they want to be first and second in the kingdom of God. Can I sit on your right hand and on your your left? They first come and say, Jesus, will you you give us what we ask of you? What what do you want me to do for you? 
The same question. And I think Mark records that the Spirit inspired it this way, that we see the same question repeated. The same question, but two very different attitudes. First, the disciples who come with proud hearts. And then with Bartimaeus who comes in humility. I think the contrast is purposeful and important. Jesus rebuked those who came to him in pride. But he hears the cries of those who come to him in humility. The blind man said to Jesus, answering his question, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Again, we've gone through chapters 8, 9, and 10, and sounds like a broken record. The pride of the disciples, their unbelief. And so the contrast, if you've been with us, is stark. It should be stark. The pride of the disciples and the humility of Bartimaeus. They struggled with unbelief, but he's full of faith. And Jesus opened his eyes. James says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here we see the grace of healing. He opened his physical eyes, and I believe that he also opened the eyes of his heart. Mark uses a word for healing. There's an other word for healing, but this one is often translated as saved. I think this word is used to convey this double meaning that he was healed physically and he was healed spiritually. His eyes were opened and his sins were forgiven. It's the same thing that Jesus said back in chapter 5. Remember the woman with the discharge of blood who just needs to get close enough to touch his garment, but she's found out because Jesus feels the power leave from him? Jesus said the same thing to her. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed, be saved from your disease. In each of these cases, we see Jesus showing mercy and grace towards those who come to him in humility. And so I must ask you the question. First, do you believe in the power of Jesus to help you, to forgive you, to show you mercy? Or will you be like the disciples, stuck in unbelief and pride? As I've been in this text this week, I've prayed for us as a church. Because I fear that far too often we remain in our struggles, we remain in our junk, because we don't have the faith that Jesus will do what he's promised. We doubt the power of Christ for our situation. We encourage others to trust him. We tell others of the love of Christ, but we doubt the love of Christ for us in our mess. We proclaim the mercy of Christ, we sing of it boldly, but we doubt it's when it comes to our sin. Here we have a reminder of the heart of Christ that he responds with compassion and healing towards those who come to win faith. This is a story of the heart of Christ. It's also a story about faith. It's an example of how we, as those who have been changed, should live. And we see that in the final phrase. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. We've seen over and over the slowness of the disciples to understand the call of Jesus on their lives. And now we see a man who everyone else counted as insignificant, whose life has changed, and he knows what he must do. He must follow. This language used by Mark, it's the language of a true disciple. It's clear that more than his eyesight was changed. 
It was said by someone else. I'll steal it for my purposes here. That a story begins with Bartimaeus as a beggar beside the road and it ends with him as a disciple on the road. He was changed. As those who have been changed by Jesus, the question is, do we follow him? Are we living as disciples? The kind of disciples that Jesus describes, those who will lay down their life, who will become a servant of all. Are you living this way? Bartimaeus is a great example for us. His life was changed and he responded by becoming a true disciple. Maybe you've noticed all the different ways we could have, the different emphasis that are contained in this passage. We see the example of Jesus caring for the lowly and the outcast. We see the power of Jesus, his ability to save and to heal. We see the faith of Bartimaeus and an example of what it means to be a disciple. But what I really want you to consider this morning is this. The heart of Jesus towards those who come to him in faith. And don't forget this, that this story took place as Jesus was on his way to the cross. He's on his way to the cross and he stops and helps this man in need. And then he keeps going. He keeps going to Jerusalem toward the place that he would do what is necessary so that you can be saved. It's where we were last week. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we can know that we have hope. Because Jesus is alive, because we believe that this really happened in time and space, we can know that there is an answer for our sin. Because Jesus died and rose again, everything we've said this morning is true. If you cry to him, he will hear you and he will answer. If you're here this morning and you're still hanging on to your sin, can I plead with you? You do not have to remain in your sin. Cry out to Jesus. He will hear you. He will forgive you. He will save all those who come to him in repentance and faith. Don't worry what other people will think. Don't worry about the consequences. Come to Jesus. He will forgive you. He will save you. Maybe you are here this morning confident in your forgiveness, but overwhelmed with the situations of your life. I want to plead with you in the same way. Cry out to Jesus. He will hear your prayers and you can trust him with his response. Does it sound like a platitude? Cry out to Jesus. It's the lyrics of a song. It's true. Jesus cares, he hears, he answers. He died to prove that this is true. The question is, will you cry out to him? Will you trust him? I want to end this morning with the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. Maybe it's the invitation you need to hear. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Why do you spend your money for that which is bread 
and your labor for that which will not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here so that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and God will have compassion on him. To our God, who will abundantly pardon. We may be slow to come to him, but he assures us of this. You may doubt his forgiveness, you may doubt his care, but he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that purpose for which it's sent. It will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And then here's, what he, here's how he ends. He gives this invitation. And hear, hear what he says. You will go out with joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains, the hills before you will break out in singing. And the trees and the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, you get the cypress. Have you seen the trees blooming this week? Instead of the thorn shall come forth the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come forth the myrtle. Shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord for us.